to worship God in word and song and singing and in silence, in spirit and in truth. My name is the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman, and I have the privilege of serving as university chaplain for Episcopal ministry here at the Marsh Chapel. Dean Hill is away this week and greets each of you warmly. Today we continue our national summer preaching series on Matthew and the cost of discipleship. We welcome this morning my colleague, the Reverend Dr. Jessica Chica, University Chaplain for International Students. We look forward to her bringing us the word this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As able, please stand in the praise of God.
continual mercy, O Lord. Cleanse and defend your church, and because it cannot continue in safety without your help, protect and govern it always by your goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 through 5. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Listen, so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that you do not know shall run to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it by the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, my kindred according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, comes the Messiah, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 145 with the antiphon. and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. The Lord upholds all who are falling and rises, raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Please stand as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel lesson.
Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the town. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowd. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Good morning, Marsh Chapel. Good morning. I'm glad to be back in the pulpit again for our summer preaching series as we enter into August. How is it August already? The summer is just around the corner of ending and wow, okay. Um, I'm sure everyone's starting to feel that way. We continue our exploration of Matthew and the cost of discipleship this morning. Last week, we heard about the kingdom of heaven in Matthew's gospel. Through many metaphors, Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven as a mustard seed, as yeast, as a net catching fish, as a treasure that is hidden. As Reverend Dr. Stephen Cady pointed out to us, in using these metaphors, Jesus is teaching us that the kingdom of heaven can be realized on earth. Jesus comes to us to teach us how to live and in doing so shows us that love is the way of life. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is depicted most strongly as a teacher. He instructs the disciples on how to minister to others. He instructs the world on what the central message of his teaching is, to recognize God's sovereignty and the importance of love and care of one another. In this week's text, Jesus continues his ministry not through parables or metaphor, but through concrete action. Jesus shows us what the kingdom of heaven is actually like, using bread and fish, using compassion and patience. The story of the feeding of the 5,000 is a familiar one to our ears. We've encountered it before as one of Jesus' miracles. In fact, it is the only one of Jesus' miracles, except for the resurrection, that is recounted in all four Gospels. 
The writers of the Gospels all share this story because it demonstrates a central importance to Jesus' ministry in caring for the physical needs of others. And the message Jesus sends to the world through his actions of feeding and healing. It also provides many avenues from which we can understand the significance of this story. In fact, some scholars believe that while this story may not have been a historical event, its ability to be interpreted through many different lenses offers the opportunity for us to find meaning in a variety of circumstances. Morality, social justice, physical need, and our understanding of the Lord's Supper all influence how we read this text. For the disciples, this event challenges their way, their understanding of their way of life. The kingdom of heaven pokes its way through into their reality through Jesus' actions. First, Jesus, although tired and seeking some refuge and time away from the demands of his ministry, something that we should all know is necessary in order to continue to do our work well, is drawn back into that ministry by a crowd of people who followed him and the disciples to this deserted place. I'm sure many of you can relate to how the disciples may have felt in this moment. Who among us has been eager to take a rest, to find a quiet space, only to be drawn back into the world by the needs of another. I know for parents this is particularly true. In this case, the people come, and some of them are sick, so Jesus shows compassion and heals them rather than taking his rest. There must have been many sick people in the crowd because Jesus' healing work goes all the way into the evening. The disciples, not necessarily out of a desire to get rid of the crowd, but perhaps out of a concern for their ability to find food and shelter, ask Jesus to send the crowd away. They are, after all, in a deserted area, and while the disciples know that they have food for themselves, the likelihood that others have brought food or will be able to find anything to eat where they are is slim. It makes sense, then, to let them go back to where they can have food. Jesus' response to them is almost as if their request doesn't make any sense to him. He tells the disciples to feed them, knowing that they only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, nowhere in this gospel reading does it say that Jesus somehow makes piles of food. It tells us that he blesses and breaks the bread but he leaves leaves it up to the disciples to distribute the food to those in need of a meal. While they do so, they find that they are not running out, but that there is enough food for everyone. So much so that there is bread to spare at the end. Everyone is able to eat until they are full, something that might have been a rarity for the marginalized members of that society. Because the food doesn't appear suddenly in a big pile, there isn't some moment where the crowd is amazed by what is happening or is in awe of what takes place. Instead, this miracle is happening in real time as both the disciples and the crowd realize that there is more than enough for everyone. 
The feeding of the more than 5,000, remember, 5,000 was only the men that were there. There were also women and children present. Gives a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. In the moment when it appears that there is no solution to meeting the basic needs of the people in his presence, Jesus shows that in the kingdom of heaven, there is more than enough for all. Trusting in God, having faith in God, allows for this miraculous event to happen. In moments of challenge, Jesus teaches us to discern what's possible when we look at the world with eyes that are not quite adjusted to the kingdom of heaven. I'd like to talk about two examples of challenge in our current context that tie, I would say, reasonably well into today's gospel, even if at the outset they don't seem related to one another. So stick with me. One example of how we might see today's gospel applied to our lives is how we conceive of the church. And that's church with a big C, inclusive of all Christianity, not one particular congregation. There's a lot of conversation about what the future of the church will look like these days. As Protestant denominations continue to see a decline in membership and individual congregations face the challenges of limited funds and aging buildings and shrinking numbers, the options available are, in a word, hard. Some congregations lacking funds and people have no choice but to close. Others go through the process of merging with one or two other congregations who then share a life in ministry together, not without its own challenges. Most places are having a hard time envisioning what the future will bring them. The studies and research on religious affiliation aren't encouraging either. Younger generations aren't as actively involved in religious organizations as older generations had been at their age. While younger generations may be willing to identify as spiritual but not religious, they aren't actively participating in communities of faith in the same ways as previous generations. Now the second of my concerning aspects of our current global situation is that global food insecurity is rising around the world. We see it in our own country and in our own communities, with inflation increasing the prices of everything, including basic needs like food. Food insecurity is on the rise. The latest data from the USDA, which is from 2021, indicates that 10.2% of the United States population is in food insecure, with 3.8% of that number having very low food security. These statistics are hired for households with children, those living in metropolitan areas, for black and persons of color households, and for those headed by a single woman. Globally, international markets affect the distribution of food to the point that it becomes scarce. 
African countries in particular share the burden of the most food insecurity. And the frustrating aspect of all these cases of food insecurity is not that there isn't enough food to go around to feed the world's population. No, in fact, we have more than enough food. Global markets and systems which see food as a good rather than a human need prevent access through pricing and distribution. In both cases, the future of the church and global food insecurity are just two examples of challenges that feel like desperate situations in our current world. While there is a fear of not having enough in both situations, either not having enough young people to carry on congregational life or not having enough food to go around for those in need, the reality is there is enough. Today's gospel teaches us that what might feel like a hopeless situation actually calls on us to live into the kingdom of heaven mentality that Jesus encourages the disciples to experience. Perhaps the church, as it is now, is in the process of changing and in a place where it needs to more actively meet the needs of those marginalized or who have felt excluded. Some of these communities already exist, and their impact is greatly felt by the surrounding community and those whom the church may not usually reach. While we may not be able to affect change on a global level when it comes to food insecurity, there are opportunities to engage the local community in efforts to ease the stress of food insecurity for all. One such opportunity which ties together both of these issues is a movement within Mainline Protestant denominations within the past 10 to 15 years. Recently, upon the suggestion of a graduate student here at Marsh Chapel, I read the book, We Will Feast, by Kendall Vanderslice. In it, Vanderslice, a gastronomist who studied here at BU, explores the dinner church movement as an alternative church experience, which centers worship around a meal that involves the Eucharist. Vanderslice also has a keen interest in theology, most recently identifying within the Episcopal and Anglican traditions, but also having experienced other types of worship throughout her life. In her words, her book explores what happens when we eat together as an act of worship through various case studies of churches who incorporate a meal as part of their liturgy. As a gastronomy student, she was interested in seeing how food was intertwined with faith and how new communities were forming around feeding people as part of their goals. She states, In God's love for the beloved creation, God called it good. And in the narrative that continues through Jesus, humanity received a ministry of meals. Eating or feasting is central to the church's history, including in today's gospel. Vanderslice's case studies include a variety of congregations, some located in storefronts and urban centers, who welcome all who want a meal in the community to come and join in, and some that take place in actual gardens where the emphasis on connecting the land and what it produces becomes a bigger aspect of the meal. Instead of the standard stock liturgy she experienced in her regular congregation, 
She was welcomed into communities which shared the responsibilities of preparing and eating a meal together, while also having an opportunity to hear scripture and participate in communion. Every aspect of the meal came from the community, from the bakers who made the bread from scratch, to those who would just come to set the tables and prepare the food, to those who would clean up afterward. People were encouraged to have conversation and to share in the intimate act of eating with one another. In Vanderslice's words, something powerful happens at the table. People go from strangers to opening up to each other in conversation and taking the time to be fully present to one another during the meal. They share the bread. They serve each other the wine or grape juice. They provide sustenance physically, socially, and spiritually. As relationships form, divisions that may have previously existed begin to dissolve, and the body of Christ becomes one again. Furthermore, dinner church changes the way in in which one thinks about Eucharist. Eating is a central part of Jesus' ministry. It is also a central part of our own worship. Remember that in today's gospel, we encounter the familiar scene of Jesus blessing and breaking the bread, which will be echoed in the narrative of the Last Supper. Tying this action to our own celebration of the Eucharist reminds us that we are not only spiritually fulfilled when we come to the table, but that we also have a responsibility to show compassion and care to others to make sure that they are physically filled and able to fill to live full lives. Now, will every community benefit from hosting a dinner church? No, of course not. Even Vanderslice herself herself does not think that all churches would be better off if they became dinner churches. But she tempers that opinion with this statement. I do, however, believe that every church and every Christian should understand the power of food and should expand their vision of what Jesus intended when we, when asking his followers to eat and drink in remembrance of him. And I do believe these examples of worship around the table should inspire thoughtful reflection about who feels welcome or unwelcome in our churches, whom we see and whom we fail to see, who leaves lonely, and who leaves grounded in community. Jesus' ministry is steeped in feeding and taking care of those in need. In so much of our Holy Scripture, God comes to people in moments of challenge through feeding to the Israelites when they are in the desert longing for food with Moses, to the 5,000 in the wilderness it was Jesus, to the table at the Last Supper when Jesus instructs his disciples to feed others just as he is feeding them. Today we will celebrate the Eucharist with one another. As we do, I urge you to think about what it means when Jesus tells us to do this in remembrance of me. While we are spiritually fed, how can we aid others in being spiritually socially, and physically fed. Jesus instructs us that when we have some, we should be willing to share with all. That is what the kingdom of heaven 
is like. Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Amen.
Ascribe to the Lord the honor due his name. Bring offerings and come into his courts with praise.
know what God can do with the smallest offering. We know that God transforms our gifts into abundance for all need. Amen. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Let us exchange signs and words of God's peace. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who on the first day of the week overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection, open to us the way of everlasting life. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, who ever, forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. give thanks to you, O God, for the goodness and love which you have made known to us in creation, in the calling of Israel to be your people, in your words spoken through the prophets, and above all, in the word made flesh, Jesus, your Son. For in these last days you sent him to be incarnate from the Virgin Mary, to be the Savior and Redeemer of the world. 
In him you have delivered us from evil and made us worthy to stand before you. In him you have brought us out of error into truth, out of sin into righteousness, out of death into life. On the night before he died for us, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood with the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Therefore, according to his command, O Father, we remember his death, we proclaim his resurrection. We await his coming in glory. And we offer our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to you, O Lord of all, presenting to you from your creation this bread and this wine. We pray you, gracious God, to send your Holy Spirit upon these gifts, that they may be the sacraments of the body of Christ and his blood with the new covenant. Unite us to your Son in his sacrifice, that we may be acceptable through him, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your Christ and bring us to that heavenly country where, with all your saints, we may enter the everlasting heritage of your sons and daughters through Jesus Christ our Lord, the firstborn of all creation, the head of the church, and the author of our salvation, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All are welcome to receive communion at this table, and it is intention only during that time. Wine will be served on the pulpit side and grape juice on the lectern side. Gluten-free wafers are also available.
gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Pray our post-communion prayer. 
Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.
now, beloved, may God bless and keep us. May God's face shine on us and be gracious to us. May God look on us with favor and give us peace.